0: Well, this, evening, or this morning's scripture is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 16, on page number 857 in the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear.
1: Thank you. James Montgomery was born in Scotland 242 years ago, November of 1771. He was, uh, he, his parents were missionaries. He was actually raised in Ireland. Missions in 1771 was uh, significantly different than it is today. Um, very often, if you were a missionary and you had children, you had to leave your children at home while you went to the mission field for a very, very long time. And that's exactly what happened to James Montgomery. His parents left for the West, the West Indies. They, they placed him in a, uh, in a Moravian community home in Ireland, and, uh, and he stayed there from the, about the time he was age six. About five years later, when he was 11 or 12 years old, he got word that both his parents had died in the West Indies, leaving him orphaned. Um, James would later say ba- barely knew his parents, but as you can imagine, if you're five or six and then you're 12 years old and you're orphaned and you have nobody, uh, life doesn't generally go well, and it didn't go well for James Montgomery. He actually became something of a vagrant. He flunked out of school. Uh, he he uh, wandered from job to job. He was a baker's assistant. He tried all these different things. Many times he was homeless. When he did get money, there was one thing that he enjoyed more than anything, and that was writing, and especially writing poetry. And so he would, he would spend um, uh, most of his money, if he had any extra, he would spend it on pencils and paper. It's hard for us to imagine, but those were hard to come by in 1771, apparently. And so he he would invest in pencil and paper just so he could write. And in his poetry, he'd write about everything. He'd write about loneliness. He'd write about faith. Um, all, all kinds of subjects that he would touch on. Eventually, James landed a job with a, um, uh, an Irish sympathizing newspaper. And in those times, you know, there was a lot of friction between Ireland and, uh, and uh, Great Britain or uh, England. And, um, a, and so he was on the side of Ireland. And so he lands his job, he begins writing, the editor gets run out of town. James, at the age of 23, becomes the editor of this newspaper. And he was known for his fiery editorials. He didn't mince words. He was very much against the British rule of Ireland. And in fact, uh, sometimes he would write, and twice his editorials that would come out, I think about on a weekly basis, his editorials landed him in prison. Well, he would go into prison and he would go a criminal. He would come out as a local celebrity. Everybody loved James where he lived because he was the guy who was willing to stand up to British rule. And he came out and he decided to leverage that new influence he had to fight against the things that he was most passionate about. And that was the freedom of Ireland and that was the abolition of slavery. And so he did that and people every week would wait, Irish loyalists and abolitionists would wait to see what would James write this week? What would he, how would he tick off the local authorities? They, they didn't like him and they wanted to see what he would say. What most people didn't know was that in James's 20s or 30s, we don't know exactly when, he began to read and study and research his Bible Uh, He had not done that before then, and what he wanted to do was to understand what would motivate my parents to leave me and go and minister and die among people they had never met. And so he studied the Bible to try to find uh, out what happened, what makes someone make a sacrifice for this. In time, his rebellious zeal, his Bible study... And his love for poetry and writing would sort of converge to set James on a new mission of his own. And the first sign of that convergence, at least publicly, happened on Christmas Eve, 1816. Uh, James was 45 at the time. And on Christmas Eve morning, he got up and he picked up his Bible to once again go back and study and research, and he picked up and he read the passage that was read to you this morning, Luke chapter 2. And something about this passage struck him. And if you're an artist and you're a writer, or you're a painter, or a sculptor or whatever, when something strikes you, you you use your art to express yourself, right? So this this prompted him to actually take up his pen, his pencil and do what he loved to do most and to write poetry and by the end of the day on Christmas Eve, he had written his Christmas poem and, and it was being delivered uh, to, to England in the pages of the newspaper that he was the editor of. He originally called it Nativity. We know it as Angels from the Realms of Glory. And, and it was within 20 years, Angels, uh, it, was just, it was just a, a poem, a poem. It gained popularity, some uh, another guy in England who was very well known for choral music and bringing choral music into the church. Imagine there was a day when that was considered really thinking on the forefront, contemporary music was if you had people singing along with what was happening in the choir. So this guy wanted to do that, and so he took this wonderful poem called Angels from the Realm of Glory, and he, he put it into a tune, and it was within 20 years being sung all over the British Isles, it was being sung by Irish and English and Scottish and Moravian and Anglican and Catholic, everybody was singing it. They all sang this incredible song. Now, I'm not going to do it today, but but if you if you want to look at it sometime, you'll discover this actually has, uh, I think it's like eight different stanzas to it, and it goes on and on about what Christ has done and, and how Jesus came and the angels and the shepherds and all these things. But we sang three stanzas, and I'm not sure, maybe it wasn't plain to you, but let me, let me just uh, suggest to you that, that lyrics like what we just sang uh, aren't written by people who don't know and appreciate and study their Bibles. James knew his Bible. James loved his Bible. And One of the things we said last week, we're kind of doing this series on carols, is that, look, songs, the reason we sing, and this is in a whole context of worship, one of the reasons we sing is we don't sing just so we can simply have tunes and ditties in our head, right? I mean, they are meant, as a Christian, music is meant to help us fight for joy, right? Music, especially within the context of worship. Music is meant to help us. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 that we're to teach and admonish one another. We're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. How, Paul? By teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So one of the ways we teach each other, one of the ways we learn, one of the ways we get the word of Christ to dwell in us richly is through singing. This is why we sing why we take worship so seriously right see sermon I mean songs are simply worship songs should be compact sermons memorable phrases if you will biblical themes and theology in a nutshell it's supposed to help you understand scripture better and if you listen to the words of of angels from the realms of glory you'll understand scripture better you will understand some major themes within scripture now, so this is why we sing at Fiddle Church. This is why we, we do what we do. We, we don't, our goal is not to just sort of do something and have you sort of stand there and watch and, yeah, whatever, we did some worship this morning and, and put some more mindless music in your ear. Most of you could go home, press play on your iPod or your Spotify, and it would play nonstop for the next six months, right? You'd have this background track going, and most of it would just be sort of noise, and I sing along with it. I have no idea what I'm singing right now. I'm just singing. Right? I mean, it's like when I was a kid, I was, I don't know, I, I, my, my, my parents, you know, back then that's when movies were in theaters for like 18 years, remember that, guys? Um, if you're as old, some of you are younger, you have no idea what I'm talking about, literally. Like, like I think Jaws was at our local theater for over a year, okay? So, well, this was the day when, when Grease came out. Grease, I mean, it's this cute little 50s musical, I thought, when I was 11 years old. Now I'm a dad, I'm like, my kids are never going to watch this musical, right? And I, and I, uh, I, I. We get the soundtrack, and I'm singing the soundtrack, and I'm singing it out loud. And I have no idea what I'm singing, and I'm talking about Sandra D losing her virginity, and my mom's like, what? You know, what, what are you singing right now, you know? And I'm like, what? I, I, I repeat it to her, okay, we don't say that, okay, that's a bad, how about you never sing that song again, right? right? So we just, we just, we just sing, we, we don't have any idea, it's just kind of, you know, just this, this thing in the back of our head, look, that's not what songs were meant to do for us. See, music is God's idea, and, and he gives it to us, he gives. and I have no doubt that one of the reasons God gives us music is to stir us up emotionally, to bring us pleasure. I think that is absolutely one of the reasons, but that's not the only reason. He also gives us music as a teaching tool because songs make things easy to remember, don't they? Right? You all probably learned your ABCs in a song, Okay. Uh, I learned the 50 states in alphabetical order because of a song, right? So, I mean, we, we do this. Music is a powerful tool for getting things in our heads. And so, so we sing. Okay, so I'm not so much interested in all the little stanzas that James Montgomery wrote. They're, they're brilliant. They're, they're amazing. Okay, and I, I invite you to go look at those sometime. What I'm interested in is what motivated him. What, what stirred a poet to pick up his pen and, and write this poetry, write what became the lyrics to this great Christmas carol? And I want to just suggest to you four things this morning, and there's way more we could say, but if you'll grab your Bibles, okay, we, we love looking at our Bibles at Foothill Church. If you don't have one, there's one under the seats in front of you or in the front row, there's one there. Grab it. I want you to go and look at Luke chapter 2, okay, and, and we're going to just walk through this together, okay, and Luke chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 8 through 16. We'll bounce around a little bit, but I want you to see what's going on here. Maybe we can figure out what was so stirring to a poet, That he decided, I've got to write what I see in this passage, okay? So, first thing I want to see is maybe, maybe it was that the first announcement came to shepherds. Okay, so, so let's start reading in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel goes on to say, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people, and, you, you, and we'll read that in just a minute. But here, Okay, how do you picture this scene? This is really important. <laughs> when when this when, when the idea of the angels appearing to the shepherds pops into your mind what sort of feeling do you get there what what kind of setting is 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 is, is this portraying okay because i don't know that there's any more pastoral serene quiet you know holy night uh, feeling than angels appearing to shepherds right i mean these were you know so we tend to kind of get that you know i don't know that That renaissance or that, you know, beautiful painting, this gorgeous angels off in the distance and these, you know, milky-faced, wondered shepherds like, oh, right? That this is, this is this moment, this quiet, beautiful, blessed moment. These are shepherds. Shepherds. Anybody in here a shepherd? I bet you're not, right? We're all from the suburbs. (laughs) Shepherds. You, You know what a shepherd is? Okay, a shepherd is never going to appear on the pages of a society magazine. Okay, shepherds were were not high in social standing. In fact, among most cultures of that day, I mean, you'll read about this in Genesis. I mean, the, the Egyptians hated shepherd people. Like, they're just gross to them. They're like, please don't even be near us, right? So They're, they're low, low, low. These are tattooed, you know, roughnecks. They probably ride their Harleys. Oh, that's too expensive. I mean, they ride something they put together, you know, on the weekends. These guys, and pr- I have no doubt that here they are. Okay, wh- wh- what do guys do? I mean, guys, <laughs> what do you guys do when they sit around a fire? And they're roughnecks, and they're not really cultured. They're probably telling jokes they shouldn't tell, and they're probably using bodily functions that nobody wants to hear. Right? And in the middle of that, angels show up. That's the scene. Okay, like, oh my god, I can't believe you just showed up when I did that, right? And here they are, and they show up and they talk to these shepherds. See that that's a better scene than these serene paintings of, you know, milky faced, soft skinned men. And Luke doesn't want you to miss this. So see notice and just just kind of glance through there okay they're keeping watch and an angel of the lord appeared doesn't it just say appeared appeared to them the glory of the lord shone around them they were filled with fear the angel said to them fear not get this i bring you shepherds i bring you good no- news great of great joy like I'm, I, I'm coming. The very first people that I want to say this to is you. Now, when you have some great news, like good news of great joy. I mean, you know what? What is it? I, I just got a new job. I got a raise. We're going to have a baby. Whatever it is, there's just great news. You, what do you do? You're like, I. you got somebody in your mind, like, I can't wait to tell this person. It's going to benefit them. This person is going to be so overjoyed when I tell them about this great news. And, and if you if you understand that then you've got the idea because here's god going i who who do i want to tell the first i can't wait for this news to get out and i'm like who would you pick a king noble people people that look a lot like you and god says more than anything i want to go to shepherds I want to go to these people, right? Paul, Paul says, well, Isaiah says in Isaiah 57, he says, thus says the Lord, the high and lofty one, I dwell, I dwell. I, I, I like take up residence. I love to hang out with. I, I, I pitch my tent like we talked last week among the lowly and contrite Not the arrogant and high-minded. This is who I love to be around more than anything. Paul says, he talks to the Corinthians and he says, man, you Corinthians, think about what God did for you. God didn't come, right? Not many of you are wise or powerful or of noble birth. He says, rather, he chose, God chose what is foolish and weak and low and despise nothing people to be the ones that he would pour out his grace upon. He comes to people who would look around and go like, the shepherds had to be like, are you, are you talking to Okay, well, I'm terrified right now, but are you, are you talking to us? Like, wait, you, you just came to tell, we're sh- you, you realize we're shepherds? Because maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Why us? And it's people who say why us that God says because of that right there. Because you just said, why us. See, see, I, I know what the holidays are for some of you. I mean, some of you, you know, you're Christmas and Easter Christians. I, I know, and, and and I'm not judging you, I'm just saying, you know, so happy Easter already. But 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 listen, here's one of the reasons you are. Some of you. Because because for you Church and Christianity, right, is somehow you don't feel worthy. You feel like you got to have your act together. You feel like the church is a place where there's noble, perfect, moral people hang out, right? We all have our Bibles memorized. We all do everything right. We all have perfect marriages. Wrong. No, we are are not a country club of saints. We are a doctor's sick, you know, that, that one room that they tell you the quarantine room? That's us. We're in the quarantine room of sick people who look around and go, oh, you've got it too? Yeah, so do I. That's us. I mean, look around. This is a waiting room. This is not a country club. Maybe James Montgomery looked and said, I got to write poetry because the first announcement came to shepherds and lowly people like me, like us. That's great news. But second of all, maybe maybe it was the great fear is cast out by great news of great joy. I mean, I want you to see how Luke positions these things. In verse 9, he says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. When I was growing up, uh, my mom had us memorize Luke chapter 2. Um, those days, a decree went out from Caesar, Augustus, uh, and, and we did all that, and, but we memorized it in the King James Version. Okay, so you understand, some of you maybe don't know this, there's several, there's versions, it doesn't mean they're different interpretations, it means there's translators. The King James Version comes from the 1600s when King James authorized the translation of the, the Greek New Testament and Old Testament into English, <clears throat> So we memorized it in the King James, which is pretty much the only Bible that was around back then, or at least the most popular one. And when we got to this verse, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. I love that. Like, this is, this is the kind of fear that's in your bones. This is where, this is where like, my muscles ache. This is like I wet myself fear. I am tightened up, and I can't believe this is happening right now. Says, he says, says they, they were they were terrified. They were filled with great fear. Now look at how the angel responds to that in verse 10. And the angel of the Lord, angel said to them, fear not. Now, okay, stop right there. Fear not. Okay, what? I mean, that, 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 that seems like a very absurd thing to say. Well, we see angels all the time. And they appear to us and armies show up. And, and so, yeah, okay, we won't fear because this is very normal for us. Okay, but uh, see, see, it's not helpful if you're afraid to just say for somebody to say to you, "Don't be afraid." Oh, okay. Well, that helped. I'm not afraid because you told me not to be afraid. I won't be afraid, right? Like, 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 try to do this for your kids. Shut the lights off at night. Um, don't be afraid. Well, now I'm terrified, <laughs> right? And and you and you didn't help me, mom. You didn't help me, dad. I'm 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 more scared now than I. I you're not going to help me by just saying, "Fear not." But but the angel doesn't stop at fear not. He says, I'm going to tell you why not to fear. Like, it, it, it's, just, it's just not helpful to just stop at fear not. Like, when I, was, I did, uh, when I was like, I don't know, 15, 14, something like that, a cousin of mine, and I decided that we were flipping the channel one night, and we saw that Nightmare on Elm Street was coming out. I'd never seen it. So we clicked over to it. I think, you know, I, I honestly, it's like I, I still remember the scene. And I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I, remember, I think we watched about 90 seconds of that show, right? <laughs> and here we are, two guys curled up like two little girls holding each other. Like, what just happened? We're like, and we're clicking the channels as fast as we can to find something happy. Oh, gosh, get our minds off this. And please don't turn the lights off. Don't, don't, don't. If somebody had come in that mo- at, at that point and just said, hey, Rob and Chris, fear not, click Ah! Right, I would have freaked out. No, so 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 there's gotta be something that replaces that. There's gotta be something else. So look what the angel says. It says, Fear not, why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. In fact, the way that that says in in Greek, it says, mega fear, right? Fear to great fear, and the angel comes and says, I'm gonna bring you mega joy, literally. Okay, so 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 so. Mega fear is cast out by mega joy. There's got to be something else that replaces that. What dispels great fear is news of great joy, right? And the gospel is good news. Notice the angel didn't come and say, fear not. I've got some great advice. Okay, the gospel is not advice. In fact, the good news word there. Um, it's the word euangelion, it's where we get our word evangel, it's what, it's what means, it, 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 it's, it's, the, it's our word for gospel, same word. I bring you the gospel of great joy, okay? The gospel is, first and foremost, news. It's not advice, see, and most of you think of, of what we're supposed to do, like, like Christianity is just a lot of really good advice about how to live. I should do this. I should not do that. Those are bad. This is good. So I've got my list of advice, right? This is, this is Oprah, and she's telling me how to do better in my life. Whatever. This is just, it's advice. No, the gospel is good news. What is news? News is an announcement of something that's already done. News is an announcement. And if it's good news, it's like, man, you don't want to miss this. This is amazing. The war is over. That's good news, right? You're in the middle of a battle. The war is over. And they put, you know, V-Day, and they plaster it on newspapers. That's really good news. Your candidate wins for office. That's good news, whatever. But something that has been done, and here are these angels coming. They're announcing, this is amazing. God has defeated sin. God is, Jesus is coming in the flesh. All these things is great news. And apparently, because of that news, you don't have to be afraid anymore. See, here's what religion does. Religion will make you afraid. Listen, you're already afraid. One of the primary motivations, I know this about you and I know this about me, is fear. Right, we, we fear fear we fear our children not turning out we fear not having a good marriage we fear not being successful we fear not being significant we we fe- this is what motivates so much of what we do i'm afraid i'm afraid of what people think of me and so i behave in a way that i wouldn't normally cuz i'm afraid then religion comes along and religion just makes it 10 times worse cuz what does religion tell you religion says you got to reach up Right? So so if you're you're Buddhist, what is it, the ninefold path of Buddhism that gets you up to God? Did I do it? I'm not sure. If you're Islamic, got the five pillars of Islam. You're Mormon, you gotta you gotta somehow, you know, I gotta I gotta achieve that godlike status. I mean whatever. That's what religion does. Religion comes along and it exacerbates the problem and says, man, I know you're already fearful. I'm going to really put the screws in and now you're going to be like, am I going to miss out? God, am I reaching up to you? Am I doing this right? Are you okay with me? Right? I mean, this is what religion does and it just absolutely takes that drive shaft of fear and just puts it in turbo drive. And the angels come and say, I bring you good news of great joy. You don't have to reach up to God. He came to you. He came. <laughs> this is amazing. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of missing out. You don't have to be afraid you're not going to reach up to God. See, see Jesus coming in the world, this is great news. It's great joy for all people. That means it's not just for shepherds. That means it's for you and me. That means it's for Jews and Gentiles Maybe, maybe that's what James Montgomery saw. Maybe he looked and said, You know what? I grew up on the streets. I grew up afraid. I grew up poor. I heard the good news of great joy and it cast out fear. Maybe that's what he heard. Number three, maybe it was the irony that the highest God was born in the lowliest place. Now look, look at verse 12. The angel says, you're going to, you know, unto you was born this day in the city of David, a Savior is Christ Lord. That's verse 11. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, the way you knew the status of a baby, they would wrap them in strips of cloth, and depending on what that cloth was, uh, that would tell you this was a wealthy baby or, you know, they were wealthy parents or whatever. Here he is and just these swaddling. This is idea just this very basic cloth. They've, they've wrapped him up in this and lying in a manger. Okay, what's a manger? I know we all have our nativity sets and it looks so glorious. Would you want your baby to be born in an animal stable? Would you love to give birth to a child and stick him in a feeding trough? That's the idea. A feeding trough. It's unbelievable. And, and here's, here's Jesus. Here's God, very God, in a stable. Here's, here's you know, blood on the ground, all these things. And apparently this absolutely, the shepherds then get up and they go, and they go and they find him exactly like they said. There he is lying in a manger. And this blows apparently angelic beings away. Listen, one angel is good enough to announce the news. Apparently that's all right, but it takes an army of angels. That's verse 13. It literally says, when there was a multitude, that word is, there was an army of heavenly hosts. Boom, you know, just a throng of heavenly hosts. We cannot hold back any longer. This is such extraordinary thing of what God has done. The highest God has come into a feeding trough, and we can't stand it anymore. We've got to say something. We've got to glorify God at this moment. Not weep. Why would God do that? There's something about people who really know God. There's something about those close. There's something about God himself that absolutely glories when his glory is shown in the weakest places. Like he doesn't, he doesn't find it, you know, rubs his ego at all to go, I just showed up in a beautiful palace. Like God has this thing about displaying his glory in very, very unexpected places, doesn't he? I mean, you read your Bible. He turns everything upside down. He, he takes things that the world hates and thinks of as weak and he turns them into displays of his power he 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 loves make taking nothing in creation and making something <laughs> He, he loves it when a shepherd boy beats a massive giant. He loves it when, you know, everybody else has picked. And, you know, I want the athletes and I want the, you know, the, the special forces guy. All these guys will be on my team. And they're like, I'll take the kid over there who limps and is on crutches and, 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 you know, doesn't quite have all of his mind there. That's the one I want. And I'm going to display my glory through that child. Like some of you would say that the greatest things God has taught you have been through the weakest vessels in your life. Right, Gary? (laughs) Right, Kathy? Some of you would say, I wouldn't know Jesus if it weren't for this child in my life. Like this is one of the testimonies that comes out of our school all the time. Parents that end up at church end up knowing Jesus. Why? Because their kid came home. This little kid started talking about Jesus. God loves that. Right? He loves showering his affection on a small unknown nation called Israel, right? He loves being born in a backwater town, right? You know where Jesus was born? Needles, <laughs> right? Have you ever been, been, been in Needles? Like, I, I don't. I, uh, please correct me. Like, I'm sorry if you're from Needles, by the way. But <laughs> does anything good come from Needles? Has a president ever been born in Needles? A senator? I'm sorry, that's terrible. There's probably great people in Needles, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, you just don't think like. Susanville, uh, I mean, just little, tiny, ridiculous place, this Bethlehem. And he's be like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be born there. Not just there, in a stable there. God loves this. He loves coming in the world through a teenage girl who isn't married. He loves coming as a baby and learning how to walk and learning how to talk. He loves turning the weakness of the cross into the most powerful display of his glory that the world has ever seen. I mean, listen, you didn't even talk about crosses if you were a, a, a self-respecting, ancient, Near Eastern Greek Jew in Jesus' time. We, we, don't, we don't say that word. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, we say it. <laughs> and I'm going to come to it. And I'm going to blow your minds with what I do with it. See, Paul says Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Power through weakness. See, this is how God operates. You think you're too weak? No, no. You think you're unqualified? Good. You're exactly who Christ came for. Maybe that's what James Montgomery saw. Maybe he looked at his life and realized that's me. God used a weak, unworthy, no-account orphan for his glory. i got to write poetry. Or how about this one? Maybe it was that in Jesus, God was glorified and we were given peace. What does the angel go back to verse 14? Look what, look what the angels come, this multitude shows up, and what do they say? <laughs> Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And just notice something, by the way. They didn't sing that. I'm going to ruin some of your Christmases here. There's not one instance in Scripture of an angel singing. Apparently, that's what people do. Angels just watch and go, this is unbelievable. So they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Now, those of you who, you know, you've heard that phrase before, or you've sung it in a song, maybe you sang it in, you know, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, remember that? And, and uh, there, th- 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 what, what does it say? That there's peace on earth, King James Version, goodwill toward men. Remember this? Some of you have heard it that way. Um, that's not what it says. Does not say, in the original language, does not say on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It says on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now let me unpack that for you. Okay, this sounds very exclusive, and I want to make sure you understand what this says. In other words, God's offer of peace comes for all. Everybody gets the offer of peace, but only those who receive Christ and trust him as Savior will experience the peace he actually brings. Okay, let, let me show you to this one other, other place. Turn it with me over to Luke chapter 10 and look at verses 5 and 6. It's on page 868 of the Bibles in front of you. Okay, here's Jesus. He's going to send out his disciples. This, he's now a full-grown man not a baby anymore, sends out his disciples. I want you to go and tell people about the good news of the gospel. And in verse 5, he gives them instructions. He says to them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go, and you're going you're to go into people's houses. They're going to take care of you. So whatever house, verse 5, you enter, first say, peace be to this house. There's the offer of peace. That offer goes to every house. Any house they walk into, there's the offer of peace. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Do you see what just happened? So, so, so the disciples offer peace to everyone, but not everyone receives it. Only the son of peace does. So God's peace in Christ, Luke chapter 2, is offered to everyone. But only the sons of peace, if we could say it that way, receive it. How do you know if you're a son, if you're a daughter of peace? Simple. How did you know if, you, if the disciples? Which one is the son of peace? Which one's the daughter of peace? The one who welcomed the peacemaker. Right? The one who received him. The one, let's say it this way, the one who says yes to Jesus. That's a son, that's a daughter of peace. See, real peace starts with Jesus. You cannot know peace apart from Jesus. You can know sort of little respites from the friction of your life. But Paul, listen, Paul says this over and over. He begins almost every one of his letters with some form, some iteration, some variation of this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says that Jesus, He, Jesus, is Himself our peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus, He says, comes and He preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. In other words, Jews and Gentiles. He is, He is peace and He's the peace proclaimer. He's the peace maker. See, you cannot separate peace from the peacemaker. If you want peace to rule your life, God in Christ must rule in your life. God does not give us peace apart from Himself, He never will. He doesn't want that. See, some of you are here this morning, and you're like, you know, I don't know this. And what I feel in my life, if I'm being honest, is I feel this friction. Like, I'm trying all these things. I'm trying exercise. I'm trying diet. I'm, I'm trying some form of religion. I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm, I'm trying to make money. And there's something, there's still this friction in my soul. I don't feel peace. I don't know. And this is God. God says, I want that. I want you to, I, I want you to notice the friction so you go, what is this? And God says, I'll give you peace if you'll come to me, right? See, he doesn't give peace apart from himself. He doesn't just sort of dispense this this thing called peace. No, he gives you Jesus, and he himself is our peace. So the angels say, glory to God and peace to men. The heart that is inclined to glorify God will know the peace of God. That's the idea. See the order of that? Glory, then peace. That's how it works. And it doesn't work in reverse, by the way. Right? It's not glory to us and peace to God. It's not peace first, then later I'll glorify God. No, you glorify God. That, one of the ways you do that is you, you worship him. You become a worshiper of Jesus. That's glorifying God, and you'll know his peace. If you want the glory, you will, if it's got to be around you, right? If, you, if, if God is the son and you revolve around him, you'll know peace. If you are your son and everything revolves around you, you will know friction. And listen, this just makes sense because what are you doing? You're putting yourself in the place of God, and you're trying to order your universe, and there's no human being that knows how to do it. You may be the most, you know, type A, anal retentive, you know, got to keep everything under control, and you will be absolutely tied up in knots because you can't control everything. So you either make the world revolve around you or you go and you revolve around Jesus and you'll know peace because he is God and he holds everything together and he can control it all. See, and the way God is glorified and we are pacified, how does that happen? How do you get to the place where you actually know the peace of God? It's by believing. It's by believing And trusting in the promises of God that were obtained by Jesus. Romans chapter 15. I won't look there, but I think we're going to put it up on the screen. It says this way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In other words, keep it up there for a second. In other words, the way God's promises for us become real and produce peace in us is In believing. When we actually believe in Jesus, we will know the peace of God. See, this is our world's most pressing need. I want to gag when I see things that are up there that are sort of like this, you know, may the peace and joy of the season be yours. What the heck does that mean? That is just like, you know, let's all just kind of, let's all just sort of stop and, and just let Christmas be Christmas. We have no idea what that means, but this is nice feeling for a moment. No, no, no. Let, let the peace of God rule in your heart through Jesus Christ and we will know peace. That's what Christmas is about. See, we need to have peace with God. I want you to listen to John Piper, who's one of my favorite pastors, and here's what he says. He says the key passage here is Romans 5.1, which says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, There's the pivotal act of believing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified, when when Romans 5.1 says that, justified means that God declares you to be just in his sight by imputing to you the righteousness of Jesus. And he does that by faith alone. Since we have, Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, not by tradition, not by baptism, not by church membership, not by piety, not by parentage, but by faith alone. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior and the Lord and the supreme treasure of our lives, we are united to him and his righteousness is counted by God as ours. We are justified by faith. See, and what's the result? When that happens, you have peace with God. God. Do you want to know the peace of God, right? That means God's anger at us has, has, has been put away. That means our rebellion against Christ has been overcome. We are adopted into his family. And from that point on, everything God does in our lives is for our good. Not to hurt you. It's to be good to you. He will never, ever be against us again. Do you know the peace of God? See, He is our Father. What an awesome thought! Like how peaceful. <laughs> Some of you, like I know, I know that image of Dad, is a terrible image for you. But if, if I could, if I could help you understand that for a moment. Like, like the difference between the best dad that you can think of and your dad is, is like this. Probably can't even see that when you compare it to the difference between the best dad and God as father. There's no comparison. And think, he's your dad. How peaceful would your life be if you really knew that I got got God as my father like there is a security I mean kids kids are like I just want to be around my dad like if you've got a loving father there's something about your dad coming to rest there's something about your dad I know everything's going to be okay because dad is here God is there see he's our father and I don't have to be afraid anymore He came to give us peace. So may the God of peace receive his glory from you and give you peace. Let's pray.